Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist and it is time for the tea. Tea Time with Dr. Tarver is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Welcome to our September episodes. This is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. And this month we are talking about some of the things that can put people at high risk for self-harm behaviors, hopelessness, and depression. So we're going to be kicking off this series talking about people who may have been victims of crime or who have witnessed a crime. We'll also be addressing this month domestic violence and also life after a divorce because we know that can be very difficult for people as they're transitioning. So without further ado, let me introduce to some and present to others Miss Shelley Hall. She has held the position of Victim Services Director for the Chattahoochee Judicial Circuit's Office of the District Attorney since 2008. She has over 20 years, 28 years experience in the criminal justice arena, beginning on the enforcement side, and the last 20 years have been focused on services for crime victims. She is a credential advocate at the advanced level, both nationally and through the Pro Prosecutor Attorney's Council of Georgia. She sits on numerous boards which review and monitor the effectiveness of our local response to assist crime victims. Welcome to the show, Ms. Hall. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's get into it. We have a lot to cover. Okay. So we know that following a crime, victim and witnesses can experience a wide range of things, whether that's emotional, physical, financial. And we just want you to talk a little bit about some of the common experiences that people may have following either experiencing or witnessing a crime? Sure. So when someone is victimized by a criminal act, their world is, is just drastically altered. Whether the crime was a theft of some sort or a violent offense, the victim is usually confused, disoriented, emotions are flooding their system, like shock, anger, fear, uh, hysteria, or they might even be just completely numb. Their safety has been violated and their world's never going to be the same. It's important for them to know that whatever they're feeling, it's normal, and that they're not alone. A crime victim or a witness of violent crime needs to know that there is help available. The sooner they can speak with a victim advocate, the sooner they can be connected to valuable resources and begin to find their way. Most victims will never be the same that they were before the crime occurred, but they can be capable of healing if they receive the crucial benefit of understanding and compassion. And I think that's very helpful for people to hear to normalize their experience, because particularly if you've never experienced a crime, I imagine you may not know what is typical. And so right. you may be thinking, you know, is, is something wrong with me? I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what to do. I may not even be thinking that it's better for me to go ahead and see someone immediately because I may be trying to still sort through and understand all of those things. So I, I do appreciate that you said the sooner that you can see someone and know what resources are available to you, the more helpful that could be. So let's talk about what those resources may look like, because I do recognize that some people may just not know what resources are available to them. They may not know who to trust. Um, and again, as you mentioned, the numbness, the shock may still be present. So what may be some of those recommended first steps? Well, the first step is always going to be their safety. After the police and the first responders leave, the victim can be shell-shocked and fearful and just unsure of what to do. And that's when they need a support network to offer reassurance and validation. 
immediately after the crime, support from family and friends is so important. But our office is here as well. We do our best to reach the crime victim as soon as possible after the crime occurs. Sometimes it can take up to two days for the police report to reach us. But we have an early victim notification team that reaches out to them just as soon as we receive their information. But if a victim or a family member knows that our office exists, they can reach out to us immediately. Making contact with our office can bring significant relief to a victim who is searching for answers. We're here to address any need that stems from the victimization. Even if we don't have the funding to provide every necessary service, we have a great relationship with the community and we operate as a referral agency as we work to get that victim connected to whatever it is that they need. Okay, so there could be two potential ways that a person may come in contact. That can be you all reaching out to them after you get the police report, mm -hmm. or if people are aware of your resource, then people can reach out directly to you all. You don't necessarily have to have the police report before Absolutely. you can reach out to them. Okay. Yep. And that's something that we can find out as soon as we talk to them. We have the ability to find the records and um, just prepare them for that first appearance. Okay. So, and what are some of the resources that you can offer people? You mentioned if you don't have it, you'll be able to kind of direct them. So what are some of the resources that you are connecting people potentially with? Well, I would say that the, um, you know, we spend so much time in making sure that we, the, the victim can somewhat identify what it is that they need um, because that's part of the process is them saying, you know what, I'm okay in this area, this area, I need some help. Um, and there's no doubt that the criminal justice process is confusing and overwhelming, but we're there to explain the process and we accompany each victim as they navigate their way through it. Each case is different though, and each case will follow a different path, but we do our best to keep the victim in the loop, prepare them for the possible outcomes. Um, mostly, I would say that our main service is communication, notification, inclusion, keeping that victim in the loop because knowledge is power. And so many of the victims feel helpless. They feel that the system is moving on without them. And so our job is to make sure that they are as included as they want to be. Um, some of the other things that we do are just... Um, addressing the concerns that stem from the victimization. And it could be something like um, uh, transportation to the courthouse. Uh, they might need babysitter. Um, so we try to make it possible for them to be at every hearing that they wanna be at and whatever that entails. Sometimes we feed them, sometimes we uh, find them clothes um, to wear so that they're properly dressed in court. So anything that you can think of, and just when we think we have done every possible thing, something new comes along. And, and so we find a way to make it happen. So that's important to like the basic things, right? We, we, you know, there's the business of, of right, a crime. So yeah, I've got to talk with officers and get the statement that you mentioned first. Then I've got to think about, oh yeah, I'm going to have to go to court at some point. I'm going to have to address some things. And so being prepared for that, some people have never been in a courtroom. And I imagine that process could be very overwhelming for them the first time mm -hmm. that they're in court uh, and not knowing what to say, not knowing how to dress, not knowing what to expect. So some of the things that you're 
you're offering to people is like, hey, we'll assist you with this babysitting. That's one I didn't even think about. Like, what if you have young children? Right. Yes. Yeah, so, so many times they don't have transportation. So um, we, we, are, we will buy bus tickets. We mm. will um, pick them up. We want to make sure that they are um, afforded the opportunity to be a part of the system as much as they want to be. Okay. Um, and that, you know, of course, I think about what happens at a crime scene. Um, I've had my uh, home broken into before, and I just remember that fingerprint dust everywhere, that black right. powder over everything, and it wasn't cleaned up. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you all put it down, but you don't clean it. And they were like, no, ma'am, we don't clean it. I was like, oh, right. So, I mean, what about some of those things? Like, I think about cleaning, you know, God forbid something very devastating right. happened in an environment. Right. Um, do you all have recommendations for places where people can get their homes clean following a crime? Sure. And a lot of times the police officer or the coroner is able to um, uh, make that call, but we also have a list of everything. And we're not going to recommend one specific agency. We'll provide them with a list of um, all of the funeral homes, all of the crime scene cleanup agencies, um, and then let the let them choose which one they want. Um, and then that kind of leads me into talking a little bit about the crime victims compensation program. Mm. And that is something that a lot of people do not know exists. And um, it's a state run program that offers financial assistance to eligible crime victims. Um, it can be a lengthy process because it's the state. Mm. Um, but we have a specialist in our office who assists each crime victim through the steps. Um, and before we talk about what it covers, first, there is a um, an eligibility requirement. A crime victim may be eligible if they are physically injured by violent crime or if they witness or were threatened with violent crime. And some family members of a deceased crime victim can be eligible for counseling. Uh, the crime has to be reported within 72 hours and an application has to be filed within three years. Uh, there's some exceptions to this. So again, speak with the specialist. And it's important to know that the, there will always be an independent investigation to verify eligibility and make sure that the claimant didn't participate in any way or they weren't involved in the crime in any way. Mm -hmm. This is all done by the, the state agency. Um, and the award can be up to $25,000. Uh, but there are cate categorical caps. Uh, metal, medical and dental cannot go over 15000 Counseling up to 3000 Funeral expenses up to 6000 Economic support uh, up to 20000 And then 1500 for crime scene cleanup. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. And it's important to remember, this is not an entitlement program. Only those who meet the eligibility requirements will be approved. And this state agency is the payer of last resorts, which means if the victim has insurance, mm -hmm. um, the insurance will pay first. Then okay. th they would compensate with possibly the deductible or something like that. Okay. But that's really helpful because let's say you're in a situation where you do have insurance, but you're, I noticed the mental health benefits were less than the medical, but anyway, I won't, I won't. Right. <laughs> um, um, but if you're in a situation where you have insurance, but we know people's deductibles can be very high. Right. Um, a lot of people in order to keep their monthly costs down have high deductible 
insurance plans. Yes. And so their deductibles may not have been met for the year. So they would be paying out of pocket for some services or be paying higher co-pays for some services. So this would help cover that gap, if you right. will. Okay. And that is something we tell every victim to uh, go ahead and file the application. If you, if, if it appears that they're going to be eligible, even if their insurance paid their medical bills and they say, I'm not going to need it, you don't know. If you open a claim, it is open forever until it reaches the caps. So say five years down the road, six years down the road, you have a different insurance company and they're not paying for some um, residual injuries. Um, that claim would still be available. Well, that's also good to know, too, because I do recognize that sometimes we may experience things later. So, oh, yeah. I mean, that's how trauma works, right? We don't necessarily experience everything just right after an event occurs. Trauma can show up throughout your life. And so if you haven't met that cap, you can come back and say, hey, I need additional um, support services and petition to use that money that you didn't use to be able to cover the cost of those things. Absolutely. Now, I do understand, Ms. Hall, that... Um, processes like applying for these types of things are probably very daunting um, and may be challenging for people. I understand that people, especially after a trauma, may be having difficulty with attention, concentration, focus, uh, processing. Uh, they may be just very overwhelmed. Do they get some support with filling out that application? Absolutely. That's where we come in. Um, because many times when you're in that shock and that trauma of having been victimized, you can't even think about what you're going to eat for lunch, let alone getting a death certificate and making sure that it's it's submitted. So um, that's an absolute service that we provide is helping them gather the paperwork that they need, complete the application, and submit it. Okay. Then I also think about, too, you mentioned the state, right? We know that all processes are slow, right? Of course, right. has to be filed. And um, But you mentioned covering the cost of funeral expenses. So is it often the case where people would get that before the funeral? Or are they being reimbursed after no, the funeral? Again, this is a, um, it is not a, um, like a flat check that they give someone. It is either reimbursement. Okay. So they will pay once you've paid for something or they'll pay the provider directly. Okay. So when you need that immediate care, you don't have insurance. Let's say you need to go to the hospital. Maybe you have to have a surgical procedure done or some kind of work done at the hospital mm -hmm. and you're responsible for that bill, but you can get that reimbursement uh, sure. for it. Or it could yes. come in and they could just go directly to the, because I think about if I don't have insurance, even if you bill me, um, right. I'm not likely going to be able to cover the cost of um, just ambulance ride by itself. Right. Um, well, and you look at that and, you know, 15000 is not a lot. A trip right. to the emergency room could cap that. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a new law that went into effect just this July that states that any medical provider has to accept that as payment in full. Oh, wow. Okay. So no matter yep. what I have done, if I have additional procedures that are required, that is still yep. going to be that payment. And that's good to know too. I'm it sure is. That's information that people- uh, So mm -hmm. many of our victims end up going to collections and mm -hmm. you know, just a, a really difficult thing to handle after everything they've gone through. Right. And that's that financial trauma that we were talking about. I've already been victimized and now here I am trying to figure out how to cover the cost related to how I was harmed when right. I was victimized. So this is one less thing people will have to worry about. 
Um, that's really helpful information. And I know that you said you're going to provide some things to me. So everybody, don't worry. That'll be dropped in. You all have that information um, and be able to know where to go in the unfortunate event that you're in this situation. Um, now, you mentioned um, helping people with court process. I can only imagine most of us probably haven't been to court other than to, you know, a ticket that we wanted to contest. Um, right. Um, you know, maybe if you have a family member that's had some significant uh, mental health issues and may have had to be in a process where you were trying to handle some of those things. But most of us haven't been in a situation where we've been in a criminal uh, right. courtroom environment. So talk about some of the things that it may be helpful for people to know is even preparing for, for court. Sure. So uh, before I talk about the court process, let me give you a little bit of background of how we are set up. Okay. So every district attorney and solicitor general in the country is mandated to provide services for crime victims. Some have only one victim advocate, others may have 10 or more. The size and efficiency of each office is going to vary based on population, on crime rates, um, and available funding. Our circuit is fortunate to have one of the larger victim witness assistance programs in the state. Our trained advocates are there to compassionately listen to each victim and guide them to the available services and explain what's happening and what they can expect. So we are part of the Chattahoochee Judicial Circuit, which are six counties, Chattahoochee, Harris, Marion, Muskogee, Talbot, and Taylor. Hmm. Our service are services are available to any crime victim within this area. Our district attorney is Stacy Jackson, and he prosecutes felonies in Muskogee County and then all crimes in the outer five counties. The reason that we prosecute only felonies in Muskogee County is because we have a solicitor general. This is an elected official who handles all misdemeanors, and they have their own victim witness. Okay which can be, be very confusing. Yes, I didn't, I didn't even know that. Yeah, and so if they call either one of the offices, um, either one of us will be very helpful to get you to the right place. Um, so after the crime occurs and the police arrest an offender, there'll be the first appearance, which happens at recorder's court. And we have an early victim notification team that is there to meet the victim and assist them. And then from there, the case can go in a number of directions. And we're there to explain what could happen, what is going to happen, and um, and really validate what the victim has gone through and then let them know what they're gonna, what they can expect. Um, a lot of times it will be um, uh, making sure that they're prepared. Can they get mm -hmm. to court? What are they going to wear? Um, if they have to talk, what will, you know, what will they say? Um, uh, what are certain guidelines in court? Um, you don't want to wear flip-flops in court. You don't, you know, certain things like that, that a lot of us just kind of, you know, take for granted. Um, so our job really is to demystify mm -hmm. the legal process because it, it, it is so confusing and all, there's so much legal jargon that, um, you know, it's really difficult, but the advocates really don't speak with all those legal terms. We kind of mm -hmm. break it down. Yes. And I appreciate you doing that for my audience, because I, I realized that a lot of people would not even know any of this. And that's sure. that going back to that, like, where do I even start? Right. Um, I'm, you know, I've just been victimized. There's probably so much 
that is going through my mind right now, would I even know where to begin this journey? And it's so helpful to know that even if you don't know, by the time your office gets this statement from the police, like you all are going to be reaching out. So that really helps because I think about for a lot of people, court can be very overwhelming. I'm having to face this person that harmed me or harmed someone I love. And so how am I even going to be mentally and emotionally ready to face this person? And so it sounds like you all are talking to people about their statements, how to um, address the the court, if you will, how to prepare for court. Because I, I would think being overwhelmed, would I be thinking about what I was wearing? No. Did I have to face this person <laughs> that... <laughs> Absolutely. And those are the things that, you know, that's our job to, to help help them uh, remove the worry mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of give them an idea of, um, you know, you we can see, seat you in the courtroom where you don't have to look at him. Um, we can remove you from the courtroom before they they get into the really nasty details of what happened. Um, you know, things like that to help the victim uh, not get re-victimized. Right. Because I, I would think that would be tra- traumatic to relive. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned like this initial court hearing. And so, and, and which led me to believe there's probably multiple oh. things that are part of this, this process. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and there are virtually 19 different courtrooms in our circuit that a victim could appear in. So it's, you know, there are so many different things. There's conflict cases, there's hearings, there's restitution hearings, there's motions. Um, And so we notify the victim of all of those things. Um, Anytime that the offender, the defendant is uh, being present, the victim has a right to know. Okay. Do that, does the person that's been victimized have to show up for all of those things? Okay. No one has to show up unless they receive a subpoena. Okay. And there are times when the victim does get subpoenaed, but um, no, they they have the um, uh, the choice okay. of no one's going to force them to be a part of the process, but it is their right. Okay, so they're able to have access in terms of bringing uh, potentially a person to justice, but they don't have to if it would because I would right. think for some people, one they may not be physically in a condition or mm-hmm. mentally in a condition to be able to, depending on the the, the type of crime. Um, right. But then also, like you said, being re-traumatized, re-victimized, mm-hmm. being there, hearing this person's voice and yeah. the recounting of all of these things, some of which they may not even remember right. all in detail or know about. Like I imagine that could be very difficult for a person to sit through. So I'm happy to hear that people don't necessarily have to be present mm-hmm. for all of those details. Right. Okay. Um, now I do recognize that you probably have a variety of ages of people who are victimized. Mm -hmm. So are youth treated different than adults or people that may have some mental health challenges or cognitive, um, challenges? Are they treated in a different way? Are they considered special victims or is the process pretty much the same for everyone? I believe we would consider them special victims because our young victims and our witnesses, they have gone through 
horrific experiences. So our goal is to offer services in a trauma-informed environment so we can protect the child from further harm. Uh, victims or witnesses with mental health issues are included in the trauma-informed care. And in both cases, we rely on agencies in our community that can offer more specialized services. An example of this could be a child who has been sexually or physically abused. Our circuit has a child abuse protocol that provides concrete guidance on every agency's role, what they do and how the, the child is going to be treated. Um, Children's Tree Treehouse is a local nonprofit that provides forensic interviews, mental health services, and meets the specific needs of that child. And this allows the child to have everything done and addressed in one facility rather than being bounced around from agency to agency where then things could fall through the cracks. We work very closely with Children's Treehouse and when they can offer a specialized service, then we, we have them step in and um, provide that for the child. That is good to hear because I do recognize that, and you're right, like everybody that's been victimized is a special um, uh, right. victim because you know, trauma has so many lasting effects. Um, but I'm very happy to hear that you all try to minimize as much as you can because we do know our young people are particularly vulnerable mm -hmm. um, when they've experienced a, a trauma. So I'm happy to hear that there is already a protocol in place. Yes. Uh, yep. And you try to decrease the amount of people, it sounds like, even that are interacting. So they're not getting yeah. questioned by so many people. Because uh, right. I imagine that could be very overwhelming mm -hmm. for, for a child. So, Sure. Um, now, you mentioned that you try not to be very jargony. And you've been mm -hmm. doing a great job of that because um, I'm able to follow uh, with my lack of legal <gasps> background. Um, are there some things, because I do know that people... Uh, don't, you know, sentences, probation, appeals, right. registries, all of these different things. Like, how do you talk with people about, because you said that, I mean, there could be a lot of different directions mm -hmm. that a case could go. So how do you, what are some of the things that you maybe talk to people about? And how do you talk to people about um, some of these more uh, maybe difficult concepts to understand if you don't have that legal background. Right. So the first thing we're going to do is break it down. Whatever the hearing, the motion, the meeting, the, the content, whatever it is, um, break it down in a way that, um, that they understand. And um, we are very careful, though, that we don't give legal advice. Okay. Uh, we're not the lawyers. So if there's a plea bargain, say, um, and we're, they, the prosecutor asks us to call the victim and relay this message, we're very careful to relay the specific message. And then if a question comes about, the prosecutor and the victim need to talk. So because we want to be very um, careful that um, we are not misinterpreting what is going to happen in the courtroom. Um, yeah, so, and there's a lot of things that, um, uh, for instance, when the case is all over and the offender has been sentenced, uh, our work is far from over because if the offender goes to prison, we make sure that the victim gets registered through the Georgia Office of Victim Services. Um, if there are probation concerns, uh, we work with community supervision to address those and include the victim. Um, and we just, the biggest thing is to keep the victim in the loop. And then anytime the victim wants to check the status of the offender, they there's a number of agencies they can call 
whoever has custody. But if they call us, we can find out where that where that offender is and uh, and get their questions answered. So you can help streamline that for people, because I imagine trying to even call and sometimes we're very intimidated by contacting agencies and asking, okay, to even know that what language to use um, about this. I just want to know this person is out. Like, are they, are they still where they were before? Right. So that you all are able to help with that. Cause I I could not imagine being victimized, thinking that my perpetrator was incarcerated and then see them in the grocery store. And there have been horror stories where someone runs into someone at a gas station and, um, you know, people are human and things tend, they can fall through the cracks, but Mm -hmm. to, yeah, to be that, oh, I just, I couldn't imagine. And so we do our best to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I like that you all keep people informed of all of the, hey, they've been transferred here. They're doing this. They're up for parole or they're up, right? So you're really letting people know so that they don't. And and I, I didn't even know that, um, that victims had a registry of their own to make sure that they stay informed. Um, you mean the, their, the crime victims bill of rights? Yes. 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 So yes, the victims, uh, they absolutely have rights and, you know, the, it's always been the rights of the offender that our, our system has been concerned with. Well, we are elevating the, the crime victims rights, um, just recently, 2019, it became part of the Georgia Constitution that our victims are are um, afforded these rights. Um, so it's it's very um, we are trying to become more victim friendly as a mm-hmm. society, and uh, there's a ways to go still, but we are headed in the right direction. Okay. I'm very happy to hear that on behalf of anyone who has ever experienced the trauma mm-hmm. that we are doing more to support people that have been victimized. Yes. Now, I know that family and friends and their efforts to be helpful (laughs) um, can, I know that you all try to be very clear, like, let's make sure you're getting accurate, appropriate information and we're not influencing you one way or the other. But I know family and friends uh, may not necessarily take that approach. What are some things that you would encourage for family and friends who want to be supportive of their loved Mm -hmm. one who was victimized? I would say the most important response that every victim needs to have is that they are believed. Mm. Yeah, uh, the validation is so important to begin their healing um, and they get to a place sooner if they're believed. And it doesn't matter if you think they're exaggerating or um, what you need to do is be in their corner, be there for them. We didn't go through what they went through. Um, the other thing that can be very harmful is victim shaming. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if people understand, um, how simple it happens. It it can be something like somebody got their house broken into and you say, well, your door was unlocked. What were you thinking? Well, that right there does nothing to, um, help. Mm -hmm. It, it, It puts blame on them where they're already probably feeling everything that you know, um, that goes along with it. So very, very careful not to um, uh, put any blame on the victim. And then I think that anytime shocking news is is delivered or presented or in the room, um, it's just best if the listener stays in the moment, allow the victim to lead the conversation and um, it, we can all make a conscious effort to be supportive. 
I mean, that's what the victim needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you said, we don't have to try to fix it. Like sometimes we just, we just need somebody there with us. We're scared. We're afraid. We're confused. We're, um, as you said, we already might be blaming ourselves thinking about, you know, could I have done something different to prevent this? And so the last thing we need is someone adding to all of this uh, barrage of thoughts that we have in our head. Um, Sometimes I just need somebody to be there. So I'm not Mm -hmm. by myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, I know that you mentioned you have a a host of resources. I'm absolutely certain one of them is mental health. (laughs) Uh, So what are the resources that are available to people who may be looking for mental health support? Or I know sometimes you may just offer like, hey, just in case. Right. You know, this is available, even if a person doesn't necessarily think immediately that they may need some mental health resources. Right. So depending on the crime, um, if that victim is eligible for the Crime Victims Compensation Program, um, that will determine if the mental health treatment is paid for. Okay. And also, it's important to remember that witnesses to a violent crime can receive counseling through that program, as well as family members when there's a homicide. That is something that's different. It means each person would have their $3,000 to spend. Oh, um, wow. For counseling, yes. Okay. That's a recent law as well. And um, it is, uh, it's just really important to know. And then if someone is not eligible, um, but they still need the counseling, we have a list of local resources where they are either free for a number of visits or uh, on a sliding scale. So it's, um, we will connect them to whatever they need. So and, and, and do whatever we have to do to, um, that they can afford it. And that's all very important. One, I, I didn't even realize that this was separate money that people in the same family could receive. That's very helpful to know. Yes. So kids can get a pot, mm-hmm. um, you know, adults can get a pot and we're not sharing from the same right. money. So that's very helpful to know. But then the other piece is, hey, you all don't have to worry about trying to find necessarily mental health providers. We've got a list of some agencies if you need sliding fee, if you need low to no cost, um, we have options for you. And I imagine given all of the types of things that you all deal with, you probably have a range of providers that see children mm-hmm. up through our geriatric right. population. And some that are trauma and some that are um you know, uh, specifically for sexual abuse. Um, so uh, it it is going to be um, kind of curtailed to what the victim needs. Okay. That's even more important because I we definitely know that it's very important for people to be referred to the appropriate agency um, and right. receive culturally appropriate and responsive services that meet their needs. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you have a list of providers for people because the last thing that you need to be trying to do is figure out all of the stuff you need. Um, right. I know. Yes. Right. I mean, like I said, some of the victims are just so, um, they're just lost and we're not going to tell them what to do, but mm-hmm. we're going to break it down to say, the only thing that you need to do today is decide what, what you're going to wear to court, yes. you know, something yes. um, that uh, breaks it down from so complex that they yeah. get so overwhelmed. Yeah. One moment at a time. Yes. One day at a time. You don't, there'll be some things on this list that you may benefit from at some point, but you don't have to focus on that right now. Yeah. When that time comes, just know that we have the things mm-hmm. on here that you would need. Sure. 
Now, are there any type of crisis lines? Because I can imagine that, you know, following court maybe or mm -hmm. prior to court or anniversaries of different things or right. um, that people may need a little bit uh, more support. So our office is not 24-7. Um, and so we want to make sure people aren't trying to get in touch with us in a crisis uh, after hours. Um, but there are some very, very good crisis lines um, at, that are going to be depend on the issue. It, uh, you know, the suicide helplines, the sexual assault, domestic violence, runaways, teen dating violence. That's just to name a few. Um, there's mental health um, crisis lines. And we have all those numbers handy and we make use of them whenever they're needed. So very, very good to have and to know. And that's a list that we can provide with our victims too. And that's awesome because again, like I can't contact you at, um, you're up late and I appreciate it, um, past your work hours to, to do this podcast for me. Uh, but I can appreciate that you're not going to be available when I can't sleep at midnight and I have a flashback or a nightmare. Um, but that I'll have that list that I can say, oh, wait, okay, Ms. Hall gave me, right? So I'll know that I can have some numbers when I need them. I think it's very comforting to people because we don't, we often ask people, well, what do you need? Um, and I know some of that is a part of the assessment that we need to do, right? Like, hey, what are some of the specific things that you're experiencing so we can curtail your, um, your, your resources to meet that? But other times we're asking people what they need. They don't know. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, oh, yeah. So you have taken the guesswork out of it. Whether you may or may not need it, you have it. Sure. Um, and there is something that feels very secure um, to people and comforting to people to know that at any point there is a person right. that they can talk to that can just be with them in that moment. And they don't feel because I know sometimes people feel like they're just being such a burden. Yeah. Um, because they're still dealing with their trauma and other people may have moved on. Right. So right. sometimes they don't feel like, and we know that all families aren't healthy. We know that everybody doesn't have uh, supportive, unfortunately, um, friends in their lives. And so being able to have someone who can be available to talk to them through those difficult times right. can be very important. So I appreciate that. Um, are there any other advocacy or support resources, books, websites, agency podcasts, <laughs> blogs, anything else that... Um, um, so we have a Facebook page okay, um, and we try to update it regularly. And many times we find out about some of the best resources because our victims call us and say, hey, this worked. Mm -hmm. um, we do rely heavily on the community to help us with this. Uh, financially, we have limited resources, um, but we are going to address any concern that comes from the victimization. Um, it could be... Um, uh, like, again, we don't have a lot of money, but let me give you an example. Say there's a drive-by shooting and the family is terrified. There were no injuries, so they're not eligible for the compensation, but they want to get out of that apartment complex. Mm. They go to the landlord. The landlord says, sorry, you're in a lease. Well, that's where we'll come in and talk to the landlord. And we have been extremely successful with that just by... Um, letting the, the landlord know what happened and then they can get out of the lease and um, they can find a different place. So things like that, we can do all day long. Um, and I think one of our biggest issues is that 
people don't know that our office exists until mm-hmm. they become a victim. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where I want to say to all of your listeners, put this in the back of your head. And if a neighbor or a relative or, you know, Lord forbid, you become a victim, mm-hmm. you know that you can call us. So, and you can tell that victim to call us. So, um, yeah, the some of the support groups that are out there um, are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And if we find them, find out about them, we will post them on our Facebook page. But that's also something very helpful too that people can know is that they mm-hmm. can come to your Facebook page, right, and be able to share resources that may be beneficial, right, um, to people. So that and that they can come to your Facebook page and right. get information sure. about resources that may be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just say thank you so much. One of the things that's very important for me and, and one of the reasons why I do this is to give people information. And I do know that most of us would never know that there was a victim services, that there was um, all of these resources that you have shared that we may be eligible for if we're victims or witnesses to, um, because you know we things only become really something that we pay attention to sometimes mm-hmm. if they happen directly to us. And so some things feel like they're kind of on the outskirts and we're not connected to them. But as you said, God forbid, um, that could be us at any moment. That could be someone we love and care about at any moment. And so knowing, and this is one of the ways I think you were saying that friends and family can support, like, let me just give them a call for you. Right. (laughs) Like, let me, let me, so you don't have to worry about that. Right. Um, I'll reach out to them to let them know what happened. They'll get with you and we'll, we'll go from there. Right. So sometimes just knowing, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, wait a minute. I remember hearing that information. Let me go find it can be a way that we can support people. Right. Got to remember knowledge is power. So the more that. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The more we know the information, Mm -hmm. then it gets, it gets them on their path. And I think too, sometimes it's just helpful to put a face <laughs> to an <laughs> office. Oh yeah. Like, like, because I mean, we don't know, like, what, who am I calling? Who right. am I telling these very intimate details to? Like what? Um, so I think that you have been able to help um, normalize for people, like all of the things that you're experiencing are typical things that people experience after yes. a significant trauma like this. And we, because of all of the years of experience that we have and all of the resources in the community we've gathered throughout that time, have a lot of things that you may not even know that you're going to need, but when you do need them, we'll be able to make sure that you can get connected to them. Right. Yeah. So thank you so much, Ms. Hall, for taking an evening outside <laughs> of your work hours to share information um, with my audience. Uh, as we said before, Ms. Hall is going to share this information with me so that I can put it when I drop this information back on um, tomorrow, I'll be able to share with you all a lot of the things that she was just talking about. So you'll know the names, you'll know the uh, Facebook website. She sent me the Facebook page information earlier. So we're going to make sure that you have all of this, you know where to go. You don't have to remember all of it. You just need to know where to go to get it, right? So we'll make sure that we provide that information. Um, Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes, Tuesday, September 20th. I love you more than I love myself. The Cycle of Domestic Violence with Ms. Tabitha Marion, Hope Harbor Shelter Director. And Tuesday, September 27th, after the divorce dust settles, co-parenting, dating, and marriage with Reverend Adrian Baker, Assistant Pastor of Christway Baptist Church. Thank you again, Ms. Hall. Thank you all 
all our audience. Everybody be well.